Hello everyone and welcome once again to Ultimate Motorcycling's weekly podcast, Motos and Friends. My name is Arthur Coldwells. Associate Editor TJ Adams recently attended the Yamaha Champions Riding School in Las Vegas and she took with her the Yamaha XSR 900 that she's been riding for a while. This is the retro-style version of the MT-09, and TJ gives us her impressions of the bike, including her thoughts versus the XSR 700 that she rode recently. The guest segment of Motos and Friends is brought to you by the faster and most technologically advanced 2023 Suzuki Hayabusa, one of the most iconic sport bikes ever. Check it out in person at your local Suzuki dealer now, or visit suzukicycles.com to learn more. In our second segment, TJ chats with Kate Ma, a contributing journalist at Motorcycle.com and owner of a Yamaha TW200. The two ladies met at the recent launch of Kawasaki's dual sport KLX230S. TJ is a total novice off-road. Kate, however, Although quite experienced in the dirt, including her recent venture on the District 37 Barstow to Las Vegas dual sport run, still doesn't consider herself an expert. Both of these girls have a positive, upbeat attitude and their fun, energetic outlook shines through. Kate is definitely a give-it-a-go type of personality. Her take on the various challenges, experiences and adventures that she's had make for fun listening. So, from everyone here at Ultimate Motorcycling, we hope you enjoyed this episode. So starting right at the beginning, the 900 range of Yamahas is a 900cc, for the sake of argument, actually it's 890cc, inline three-cylinder motor. So it's got plenty of low-down torque, and some really good horsepower, and it's a fast bike. So what's your impression of of how the bike rides engine-wise? It felt pretty sporty, I have to say. I had come off the XSR 700, which I loved, and is completely adequate. I mean, that's a, a nice bike to ride, for sure. But then I did find quite a difference. I don't know if it's because the position felt a bit more sporty as well, but it certainly has a lot of, a lot of pull, um, especially when you get up in the rev range a little bit, you know, when you're joining the freeway and that sort of thing, and you're up in the 7,000 revs, it suddenly has a, a bit more vim, um, which made it feel um, fast and enjoyable and safe because being able to use a bit of power can help you get out of situations that you don't want to be in. Absolutely. The, one of the characteristics of a three-cylinder motor is it produces more low-down torque than a typical four-cylinder. So it means that from low revs in a higher gear, you can still got plenty of acceleration if you need it. How did you how did you find the low-down torque, you know, on this motor, especially accelerating on the freeway and 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 coming out of corners? Great for on the freeway because you can um, get that reaction that you want. You can accelerate even if you're not quite in the gear you want to be in so you don't feel you're left behind or struggling. So that's um, something that I found enjoyable. And for chuntering around town, um, 
chuntering is probably the wrong word. I mean, <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody does that on this type of moto. And uh, I found that there it's very forgiving, easy. If you're sort of not changed right down in the gearbox, you can still pull. It's it's useful. It's great. Okay. So there's there's some real horsepower here. Yamaha don't quote horsepower figures per se, but it's you know it's well up into the into the hundred horsepower range. Um, wow. So yeah, I mean it up into the sort of the mid hundreds horsepower range. So it's probably producing something in the region of I would think about one hundred and twenty five to about one hundred and thirty five horsepower. So you felt like the bike was really powerful? I did, yes. Um, I rode it on track as well. As you know, I went to Yamaha Champ School. And that's a life-changing experience. I have to tell everybody about that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, the, yeah, the bike is, is powerful. I could get going really quickly. There are different settings you can choose. Um, so that's something that we'll have to talk about separately. There are three different settings on on this particular bike but it does pick up fast goes fast and really stays true to what you're asking it to do so for instance you were in the outside track at las vegas so coming out of that final corner onto the straight you were able to kind of wind it up you didn't have to really stir the gearbox or rev it out particularly no i just picked it up and there's quite a big sweeping bend and then you go onto onto the back straight and it was awesome, really great feeling. Yes, really picked okay. up. How would you compare it to the XSR 700, which is not a slow bike. I mean, the 700 does, it's only a parallel twin. It doesn't have that, that extra third cylinder. And obviously it's about 700cc instead of 900. Is there a big difference in that power? Um, there is, yes. I think it's worth, um, if, if you are a faster rider and wanting to do um, more sporty things, like track days or you know riding in a sporty manner i think there is quite a difference between the 700 and the 900 um the 700 is a great bike it's um just not got that urgent uh, feel to it all right did you try the different modes or did you just sort of leave it in one and, and... i didn't i left it in one mode it was uh, number 3 setting which is pro which is the easiest it's it eases you in with the accelerator um and okay. probably what you would call the rain mode no, you, the rain mode is reduced horsepower. The other two modes um, both produce full horsepower, but they deliver that horsepower with, with different levels of aggression. And so you were in the, the softer mode where it's not as aggressive when you initially applied throttle, but if you want, you've still got full horsepower there if you need it. Well, it certainly felt fast enough for me. And uh, that mode was suitable because I was actually working on being less abrupt with my controls and okay. so that was a, a help in the right direction <laughs> good okay well i guess that segues nicely into how was the throttle smoothness i mean all these fuel injected bikes nowadays they come with varying amounts of of smoothness in other words when you're going from off throttle in a corner you reach the apex and you come back on how smooth or how jerky was that it wasn't jerky it's um you do get the reaction you feel the engine braking but it wasn't jerky smooth nice okay um obviously linked to the to the motor is the gearbox the yamaha gearbox is as smooth as butter i yes. mean i rode this bike i mean was that your impression absolutely yes 
I'm tempted to say the smoothest I've ridden. It, <laughs> it really just finds all the gears easily. It has um, an automatic shifter. Well, it, it's basically a clutchless shifter, often referred to as a quick shifter. But essentially, it allows you to change up and down the gearbox without using the clutch and without having to shut the throttle. Yes, and on the XSR 900, you have up shifter and down shifter. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't previously really used that feature on other bikes when it's been there to my advantage. But um, I did... I was on the track and I was trying all sorts of things and I did find it so useful and smooth, very smooth. So first of all, I was riding using the clutch um, and that was great. Gears just slipped into gears easily and picked up easily. But using um, the quick shifter, that was just amazing. Such a difference. I really grew to love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when you shift down, you have to make sure that the throttle is closed. Yes. I don't use blip downshifters as they call them quite so much but certainly on upshifts it's great i typically don't use a, a a quick shifter um on any bike really from first into second because that movement across neutral is a big long throw and it can unless you you're at fairly high revs it can make it a little jerky not that i felt that on this but i typically only use quick shifters really from third through six yeah i guess i'm about the same because first and second you're generally pulling away so um it's not necessary as soon as you get rolling it's not necessary right. but very nice to be able to just change gear without using the clutch <laughs> right yeah it's turned us into lazy people oh yes <laughs> okay well moving right along then the handling now this is where they these three bikes are a little different um, they're different specifications in as much as the, the SP version of the MT-09 has a KYB fork on it, which is a sort of higher, higher spec, and it has an Olin shock on the rear. So the SP version is actually about, um, yeah, give or take, it's about $1,500 more expensive than the MT. So from, I haven't ridden the SP, but um, I think, you know, pretty serious riders getting that extra suspension is worth it. But when you compare the dimensions of the MT bikes to the XSR, the real difference is the XSR has quite a lot longer wheelbase. The wheelbase on the XSR is 58.9 inches, in other words, almost 59 inches, compared to just over 56 inches. So it's more than two and a half inches longer, that bike which is a lot, that is a big difference. Now, that would essentially make the XSR potentially much more stable, certainly more stable in a straight line, more stable in, in the corners, and potentially slightly slower turning. But I, I, I don't want our audience to get the wrong impression. I don't want them to think, oh, the XSR is slow. So what was your impression of the handling, especially on the track? Uh, not slow for sure. Um, uh, the actual handling it did as I asked. You can go into the corner and, and it stays true, but also I found it easy to change um, my line when I was going through a curve, and it didn't sort of give me any weird feelings at all. From my point of view, it handled well. I wouldn't have uh, noticed the long wheelbase. I just when I sat in it, it felt as I said earlier, it's a kind of a sporty feel. You know, you've 
it's more the riding position for me and the peg position I just felt a little more sporty but uh yeah that is a good few inches difference in wheelbase okay and on the street you find it it's maneuverable I mean we've been through some pretty um tight corners and and some tight canyons yes I, I've loved it um I think um a lot of that has to do with the suspension making me feel secure because when you go over bumps, you're not sort of thrown all over the place. Not at all. Um, we went over that set of railway tracks I barely noticed. I think that made the whole thing feel as though it was handling just as I wanted it to. Right. How would you compare the suspension on the XSR to the XSR 700? Um, I'd say it felt slightly better. I don't know because I was riding in different uh, conditions or maybe because it is a bigger bike. It sort of feels more solid underneath you. But I'd say slightly better. I felt more secure and uh, more comfortable over those bumps. I would agree with that. I've ridden both of these bikes a fair bit. And when I got onto the XSR 700 recently, after riding the 900, the XSR 700 felt... The suspension felt much softer and the bike felt not nearly as stable or as as planted as the 900. Mm, you wouldn't notice that if you weren't doing a direct comparison like yeah. that. It's because we've gone from one to the other. I wouldn't want people to think, I mean, the, the XSR 700 was a lovely bike. It really was. It was absolutely fantastic. But but it was quite, I found it quite interesting. Just the the extra the extra weight, the extra size of the 900 just gives it a more solid feeling it just feels it really feels like a really well planted motorcycle yes it has a lower down weight feeling to it and i don't know about the um position of sort of various parts of the motorcycle but it certainly feels more planted is a good word for it yeah okay so after handling uh, let's move on to the brakes brakes are great on on these yamahas actually i mean most modern brakes are pretty good You've got that initial um, nice soft feel and then you can add power as you need to. The Yamaha Champ School obviously talks a lot about trail braking and be able to you know, apply 5% of brakes to start with and then being able to turn the bike in. How did you feel the brakes were? When they're pushing you to go trail braking, did that intimidate you at all or did you feel good? No, I felt I had um, a good tool for the job. Uh, the, the brakes... Um, reacted as as even applying them very slightly which was new to me i think i've been breaking a bit too harshly a bit too suddenly previously well i know i have um so applying them just a little bit i thought well this is going to make no difference you know it's, it's very tempting to revert to my old ways but um isaiah one of the instructors there um he did a a, a nice little um demonstration to me we just uh, were stationary in the car park and he pulled the bike forward from the forks and then I applied the brakes and he immediately said, that's too much. You have to go um, easier. That's not 5%. And to, you know, he did that time and again until I really whittled it down. And yeah, the, the brakes really do work with the slightest pressure. And um, then, as you say, once you are braking, you can squeeze gently and apply more braking and uh, gives you a lot more control. Yeah, that was my impression. I mean, the brakes really have a lot of control. So it's, it's, they really have great feel to them. It's, it's a very, a super easy bike to ride. I would not call the 
the XSR 900, a beginner bike at all. It is an expert level bike, but a competent intermediate will have no problem riding this machine at all. Was that your impression? I'd say so, yes. Be yeah. super proud of it as well. Um, yeah. It's very impressive. And uh, yes, it's uh, if you're going to go up, up for a bigger size bike, this would be a, a great choice. I would agree with you. It's not a beginner's bike. Yeah. Okay. Um, so moving along, the really lastly, it, it's the sort of the looks and the ergonomics. What was your... What was your feeling about this? About? Very um, taken by it. I love these gold wheels, <laughs> right? <laughs> which I've expounded about before. But these are a bit different. They're mag wheels, but they do have um, more spokes than than, I, or maybe I notice them more. But um, they're not sort of the standard five or six spokes. Yeah. I think they have ten spokes, uh, and I like the look of that. I think overall the bike didn't feel too hefty either. You know, I could. Yeah move it around parking and what have you almost flat footed and i've got a 29 inch inseam and i felt confident doing that so um the gold wheel struck me first of all but then i also love the retro look it's got a round headlight at the front yeah that's really cool very appealing um it has got a modern display the tft it has a display. tft instrument display yeah full yes. color it's really nice it is nice it's not huge it's three and a half inches and you can clearly see the tachometer is the most obvious thing and it gives you the gear you're in and then if you want to well you do <laughs> look at your fuel gauge um and the riding mode you're in that's a bit smaller so if you're sort of top speed on the freeway those Smaller items are not so easy to see, but certainly the important things that you want at a glance are great. The mirrors are on the end of the handlebars. Yeah, that's quite is, unusual, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's cool, and they were clear, very clear. No vibration at all. The fuel tank is uh, sort of race style. It's 80s, I think, retro yeah. looking, and yeah. has those flat sides. Um, fitted nicely, great. You can feel the bike you know, between your knees, and yet not intrusive so that leads nicely into the seat which has got the bum stop at the back which i just loved um it was quite forward i felt really part of the bike with the riding position but there's plenty of room to move around on you can sort of sit back if you are doing a track day and really want to move around it, I, I thought the seat was very comfortable and actually i rode on the back as well and likewise it's great it doesn't look as though it's going to be comfortable because it looks high which is the way on sport bikes but it actually wasn't too high um, i didn't feel perched on top which can be the case with with some sport bikes um, my helmet was just sort of um, slightly higher so i could look round or peep over the top of the rider so yeah i think hats off for the seat i didn't do um really long journeys we did a, a few days long days in Sturgis but we swapped around a lot um, but I never felt it was uncomfortable yeah I have to say I found the seat really super comfortable it was very noticeable on the XSR unlike the sort of the sporting ranges where the rider seat is typically tilted forwards so you end up sort of I always end up sliding forwards towards the tank a bit and giving yourself a bit of a wedgie but on on the XSR, it doesn't have that. The seat was pretty flat, so it's easy to flat foot on on the ground. 
And man, when I'm riding along, I, I felt really comfortable. I have to say the seat was a big, big selling point for me, weirdly. I mean, I actually really liked it. It's, it's not often I comment about the seat on a motorcycle, but I was very impressed with this. I, I like it a lot. So overall, what did you think of the looks? You liked it? Oh, stunning. I loved it. Yes. Uh, an outstanding colour and contrast nicely. With, it's got the gold wheels. It's got gold forks. I think yeah. they call it legend blue. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, okay, so a really cool bike and definitely a step up up from the 700, you would say. Yes, get the 700 for, you know, your sort of, once you're, you haven't been, if you haven't been riding too long and uh, enjoy that and then move up to the 900. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, fantastic bike. Okay, thank you so much. Cheerio. In this second segment, TJ chats with Kate Marr, a contributing journalist at Motorcycle.com and owner of a Yamaha TW200. The two ladies met at the recent launch of Kawasaki's dual sport KLX230S. TJ is a total novice off-road. Kate, however, although quite experienced in the dirt, including her recent venture on the District 37 Barstow to Las Vegas dual sport run, still doesn't consider herself an expert. Both of these girls have a positive, upbeat attitude and their fun, energetic outlook shines through. Kate is definitely a give-it-a-go type of personality. Her take on the various challenges, experiences and adventures that she's had make for fun listening. Now, we met Kate when we were riding the Kawasaki KLX 230S which was great fun. There were like so many girls, a bunch of, I think it's about six of us. Yeah, I, I was surprised. Um, there was only one uh, journalist there with us who was, you know, a dude. And I, for a second, I was like, you know, why are you here? But um, he is kind of a smaller, you know, rider, is, is mostly doing motocross and not dual sport. And so it did make sense for him to, you know, kind of be there for that. Um, and his input, man, I really enjoyed like kind of getting his, background on like you know why this is important to have a bike like that um so evan <laughs> evan was super helpful um so that was kind of cool though just to have all these women from different uh different backgrounds too some of them were teachers some of them had been you know uh, motor journalists for a really long time so they were pretty adept at riding off-road um and then there was the handful of us that were kind of really a little like brand new <laughs> Yes, that's me. I was brand new, but it was a good bunch of a good selection of different people, as you say. Um, most most people, I don't know how much experience you've had, but most people seem to have had quite a bit of experience. But uh, and like you, I think having the guy there, <laughs> it sounds so funny, probably very sexist, the token guy. But of yeah. course, you know. <laughs> well, it's finally it's always been the other way around. So it's it's really fun to like see it, see it back coming back around that way. Yeah, and he wasn't complaining. <laughs> Definitely not. So have you done much off-road riding? That, for me, was my first time. I've literally, before that, ridden up a few slippery slopes on a, a TW200. But um, that was my first going off on fire tracks and roads full of rivets and stones and everything like that. So. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, yeah, I have been riding off-road. I don't want to say well, <laughs> because... <laughs> 
lot of it, you know, I kind of started learning and was mostly on my own as I was learning. So I would just kind of load up my bike and go out to the desert where I knew I needed to work on sand riding. I knew I needed to get a little bit more comfortable on that particular bike, um, just in the terrain that I wasn't comfortable riding in. So usually that's my first, if I don't like doing it, if it comes like really hard to me, um, I know I need to spend more time on it. So I would just kind of like load up my bike, go out to the middle of Ridgecrest, ride around for a weekend um, by myself, which, you know, now I have a, a spot locator GPS thing. So um, in the past, it was just like, I don't know, I'm never going to be that far from my, you know, my Jeep. So, mm. um, but it was about a year of doing that kind of alone uh, before I actually got out to go ride with people. Um, I got a chance to ride on the East Coast and shipped my bike out. Um, my bike's a TW200. Oh, right. And it's, I mean, it's incredible for beginners. I call it training wheels, TW, right? Because it's so approachable. It's so low to the ground. It's so easy to pick up. It's so easy to ride. You don't really need to pick a line because the tires are so fat. It doesn't matter. So, yeah. So I don't, I, I still classify myself as a beginner because I really can't go that fast. And I think some of that's the bike. Um, in certain situations, like big obstacles and, and like really deep sand, I totally stall and just like, like personally stall the bike doesn't stall mm. just because I'm still, you know, not that confident and I'm still really afraid of crashing. Um, so I, I feel like I display a lot of beginner traits, yeah. traits. Yes. But I have been riding off road for two years and I, I feel like there's this kind of inverse where I look confident on the bike sometimes. And so, so, well, apparently I do because my friends are like, oh no, you can do this. You can handle this trail. And I can't. And they would come back to and say, well, you looked really good on the, you know, you looked really confident on the bike. Like you knew what you were doing. So I like to classify myself as like an overconfident beginner <laughs> because I'll, I'll technically, like, I'll try anything once, you know, if you should, if you tell me the bike can do it, technically I know it can do it. So I'll try it. Um, but I do spend a lot of time crashing. Yeah. That's the thing with off-road people. I mean, no fault of whoever's watching, but they can, they can only make a judgment because every little section and thing you do is completely different. Whereas when you're learning to road ride, you have some regularity, but when you're off-road, you can't go, let's go and practice over this log here because it's going to turn out different every time, even if you repeat the same exercise. Exactly. And especially, you know, we were riding on some, you know, money trails on that um, truck trail. Every time you'd go through a puddle, it would react different for the next person because you don't know what's underneath there anymore. You know, maybe all the water splashed out and it's just mud. It's been moved. Yeah. Um, and I see that sometimes in, you know, going up obstacles or going up steps for example and the steps are a little kind of crumbly every time someone goes up it there's a different line to be picked after that um and as a beginner some I'm like trying to figure out those lines still I'm trying to like anticipate what the bike's going to do over certain things yes and then how to cope with that particular right and that's part of that's just part of you know learning off-road and and knowing that at a, a certain speed you can ask certain things of the bike and expect certain things to the ground um but some of that's just seat time and muscle memory yes and, all that. and i'm working up to it but it also helps too i've been told to ride with people who are faster than me um 
typically I don't ride with them for long because they're way ahead of me. <laughs> but, um, but that is, that is, there's something to be said about that because then you can see and and like you know you have visible proof in front of you of here's how you can here's a line you can take it can be done yes here's how you can approach this here's the speed at which you can approach this um if you ride by yourself you almost never have those things to compare your own technique to and it's it is helpful i feel like it does kind of when you're ready for it you're it does kind of kick you into the next gear um as far as your skill level yeah, it just allows you to push yourself a bit because, as you say, you can physically see what's happening. Whereas if you're just trying things yourselves, you're like, oh, no, that's not going to work. So you kind of take a, go off and do something a bit flatter. But funny, I didn't know you'd got the TW200, the Yamaha, and that is a great bike. Um, and that was my only other, like I said before, we did a, a few little muddy tra tracks. Um, but within that, there were some little steps and things. We were at Moab. A glorious place, fabulous scenery. We also we, so we had the Yamaha TW two hundred, myself and um, uh, Arthur Coldwells, who who's the uh, president here. He he was on the KLX two thirty, and that was really way too tall for me. But the difference was, I had to go on it. It could do things that the TW two hundred couldn't. I, I saw the TW two hundred as more a great bike for absolute beginners because it's got those fat tires mm -hmm. and. The convenience of also you know the dual sport thing it's one of the, the few bikes in that range um and i just could imagine you know sort of a college kid being able to ride to college but also have some fun getting into some dirt riding oh definitely it's great for around town here um i live kind of close to the beach and i work really close to um kind of like a tourist area so it's great to take it to work and just zip through all the cars nice um, and then hit the weekend and load it up on the jeep and then go up to the mountains or go you know go find a trail um and i don't have to do anything different to it i don't have to switch tires i don't have to usually i like air it up or down but right um it really does do everything not quickly not well but it, it will do it <laughs> and i saw you when you said you shipped it i just heard you say that but also i i looked on your instagram i saw that you had taken it to pennsylvania was that sort of a, a yes a so that was where I had shipped it to um, the, or, you know, I shipped it to Chicago and then friends hauled it to Pennsylvania. I was out there for a dual sport ride, um, which is probably one of my favorite off-road rides I've ever been at or attended. Um, it's in the Michaud State Forest and the ride opens up the, this trail system just for the day. Um, there's a, a group of riders out there called, uh, Delaware Valley trail riders that maintain and like kind of mark these trails. And so they, they worked with, um, the state forest, you know, people to essentially just let us ride through there on one day only of the year. So nice. it's really special and incredible ride for one. For two, it's gorgeous. It is absolutely everything you think like East Coast, Pennsylvania woods riding can be and more. It is so, it's just, man, it's breathtaking and it's green and you get a little bit of everything and there's rocks and there's dirt and single track and, you know, you're knocking your bars on trees and then you're like kind of going around all these like big rocks in a forest. It's just, it is magical and I hope everyone gets a chance to ride something similar that if they're doing dual sport um, that I know that event sells out within like minutes. Sounds very enticing. So it sells out. Is it open to anybody? 
Uh, yes, yes, you can get, um, you just, you know, they release tickets on a certain day. If you've been before, they'll email you. So you literally get like an hour's head start to the, you know, general public. But um, yeah, it's, I feel like it's such a small thing too. If you, if you know anyone who's gone to it, they've told you about it. Like it's really um, popular on the East Coast. Uh, I think when I had been out there, I was one of the few that had like come from California. I don't know if anyone else had come that far, but because all my friends, you know, are riding out in that area pretty constantly, I knew about, known about it uh, through them. Right. Mm -hmm. That sounds brilliant. I'd like to take the Calyx. I mean, much as I love that the TW200, it definitely has its place. Yeah, it wasn't the right thing for single track in the woods. It It's just a little too hard to turn and a little too... It'll do everything, just not fast. So sometimes that's picking your way over a couple little logs and, and around things that everyone else has already forgotten that they went over. You know, it's uh -huh. kind of a, <laughs> like it's, it's just a little bit too much of a handicap at this point. Initially, that was one of the first, um, like, off-road rides that I had attended, at, like, with the, with the T-Dub, with my little bit of skills. I scraped all my skills up, and I put them in my hand, and I was like, okay, I think I'm ready. And, <laughs> and I, how many it, people there sorry to interrupt was it how many people are you talking oh about oh gosh I mean under 200 maybe 150 it's it's hard to tell because it's it's pretty scattered and it's a, everyone's essentially on the same trails but they they start you you know at different times in the morning and you're usually in a group of like four or five depending on who wants to go fast and then there's this main trail, but there's all these options that kind of offshoot off of the main trail. And they're all they're all rated. So you can, you know, take a C option, C plus, B or an A. So it's like, um, you know, a C trail is going to be pretty easy. It's going to be similar to the main trail, but a C plus might be a little bit more technical just in some spaces. Um, so it kind of gives you this like choose your own adventure if you want to go tackle all the hardest trails, you're more than welcome to do it. Um, and then they have uh, the DBTR team sweep at the back of the trail. So they just make sure everyone's, you know, picked up, dusted off, put back on the right trail and then headed home. That's um, really boring. You know, you're not going to just be left lying in the mud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, a lot of the riding groups around here, even um, I've ridden a couple of, uh, I don't want to say races, they're rides. Uh, but they do come with, you know, race numbers sometimes. Um, but uh, District 37 out here in California um, does similar things. They'll set up the trail, uh, they'll flag it, they'll sweep it, that kind of thing. Um, and those groups are so, man, it, without them, we would almost never be able to, up, like, enjoy the off-road trails that we have. Um, and this goes like across the country these they you know they're lobbying for different things to make sure we have access to these trails where you know all of those things go on in the background so all of us you know hooligans can come out on the weekends and rip donuts in a parking lot and <laughs> like, of course i was having a bit of a nosy around i was looking on facebook groups for um off-roading and dual sport riding because i haven't done it before and i was thinking how do people find these trails and how do they know they're safe and that they're a round route? You're not going to get stuck in the middle of somewhere. Right. Um, well, I personally, I use Onyx Off-Road, which is just, I mean, it's like a trail. You can you can set it for mountain bikes or truck trails or that kind of thing. 
Um, so you can set it depending on your vehicle. Um, but it's really helpful to just kind of like get a good idea of where a lot of trails are. Mm. You know, if you open up the, um, the app, it's all in an app. So if you open up the app and you, you know, set your parameters, you can kind of look and see like the desert is just like this crisscross of like green trails. That means they're easy. Right. Which doesn't always mean they're easy. I, I went up and led some friends up to a trail in Big Bear and it ended up being like an expert trail and <laughs> none of us were experts <laughs> and we all survived it only because we arrived at the right side of the trail we didn't have to go up it we went down it <laughs> by luck <laughs> yes yeah and that's just kind of how off-road riding goes for me personally like I'll be like hey this looks like a good idea and I'll just like in my head I'll be like yeah of course this is a great idea I thought of it I go and ride something and I come back and other people are like wait you just did that by yourself and <laughs> I'll just be like I mean what else was I supposed to do no one else wanted to come with of course I went and you know and once you set off it's like when you accidentally get onto the black run at a ski resort yeah. you just have yeah. to do it <laughs> that was that was pretty much what happened we're halfway down this trail and I'm like oh what's this called and they're like dishpan springs and I'm like oh cute cute black diamond jeep trail excuse me like oh man so anyways it was fine and I think the thing that most new riders don't um they just don't know because they don't have any experience with anything other than like really easy trails is a lot of those things and a lot of those obstacles are passable by a mostly beginner um if you go slow mm. and if you take your time and you pick your line and sometimes and i've seen this all the way up to my friends that are incredibly good riders they'll get off the bike and they'll walk it through something because they're like hey uh you know an engine case with a hole in it right now is going to ruin my day yes. getting off the bike and walking it over an obstacle is not going to ruin my day it means i'm going to keep riding past this and i think that's something that you know if you have friends that kind of go for blood on some rides, you know, trail rides or enduro rides or whatever they happen to be, you almost don't feel like you have that option. And that is, yeah, I, I feel like I, I have less of an ego on a dirt bike than I do on a street bike for one. But um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with like stopping, taking a break, walking the line, making sure you're not going to like eat shit over, you know, whatever it is on the trail in front of you. And and then asking for help. Hey, I don't think I can get it up over this ledge. Can you just, you know, I'll get it most of the way there. Can you lift the back end and let's, you know, I'll help you with yours, that kind of thing. Yes. Maybe that's like the, you know, us girls stick together. We can all, you know, type of writing that I've had for the last like eight years in the, you know, in the women's groups, everyone's super helpful. Everyone's got tips, but only if you ask for them because they don't want to you know, they don't want to encroach on, you know, whatever it is you're working on. But I mean, there's no reason for that to not exist in dirt, especially because the stakes are a little bit higher, you know? Well, as you say, you have to be a bit sensible and consider that you, if you do break something, you've got to get out of there. It's not as though you can call AAA when you're on the road, for instance. Exactly. Um, and I feel, yeah, I mean, maybe not beginning riders aren't really considering that because they're like, oh, that's a hard trail. I'm never going to go on it in the first place. But some of those things can be true for, you know, beginner intermediate trails at the end of your day. If you're tired, if it's a little bit too rocky, 
I mean, I've had people ride my bike up uh, hill climb because I was like, listen, if I wipe out again, I'm not getting back on the bike. Can you please just like, I'll hike up the hill, ride it up. Like I'll buy you a beer later, whatever. Um, But yeah, a lot of that is really being, um, you know, having a really good reckoning of where you are mentally, emotionally, physically. And you don't want to get stuck somewhere because, you know, you let your bike roll crashing down backwards down the hill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely don't want to do that. That's where I found it was good riding in, in in the group. I mean, not because it was girls, you know, guys or girls, because you do get that input. You do get some help. I think when we were on the Kawasaki, what I learned mostly, as you were saying, to keep rolling, you were saying about move, you know, doing things slowly at your own pace for sure. But also I learned to keep the throttle on, you know, keep rolling mm-hmm. oh definitely and that's i i feel like i need to constantly remind myself of that in some of those spaces too especially on that klx 230s um i remember thinking like okay here i would kind of stop on the t-dub but i know this bike can handle a little bit more so we're going to keep going at this pace um kind of this like you know little mental talking to of kate you know the bike can handle this you know just keep going over it choose the right line keep the momentum like you said keep the throttle on you know i tried not to utilize the clutch as much as i typically would and i was so kind of not surprised at the bike surprised at myself that the bike made it really easy for me to do all of that i found that i found it was really encouraging me if you know what i mean because you felt it, you know, the difference between the, the Kawasaki, the Kelex 230S and the T, Yamaha TW200, I found it that the Kawasaki encouraged me to try more. I just felt there was more ground clearance. It looks a bit more off-roady, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. It looks like a real dirt bike because it is a real dirt bike. The TW is like trying to be a tugboat and a dirt bike and, a, a you know, a fat three-wheeler. Like it's, it's a little bit of everything in the right way for most people, but it almost holds you back in a couple ways. Yeah. Um, And does not respond the same way in certain things. TW Mm. and sand is like, man, it makes me want to rip my hair out. Um, (laughs) What what did you find with the main differences? um, Other than, you know, the engine sizes are pretty similar, but I felt like the response I was getting from the KLX was a little bit more available. Um, you know, if I, I, I do a really bad job of remembering what gear I'm in when I'm doing things, but I felt like no matter what gear I was in, whether it was second or third, um, I could still ask the same things of the KLX, like getting up over an obstacle or you know, getting through even some of the like puddles or something like that. Um, Cause we went through some pretty, pretty deep puddles. Um, we did. Yeah. Some you just couldn't avoid. Right. You couldn't avoid. I tried to avoid one and went, went into a bush, um, took some of the bush, <laughs> with me, which was, I like showed up at the next, you know, lineup where everyone's kind of stopped and waiting. They're like, Hey, there's a tree under your, oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> so um, anyway, so I felt like, the power is really consistent. I felt like I could ask things of the motor in any, almost any gear, and it would get me through it without faltering. That's not like the TW. Um, the TW, I feel like I, I mean, I've done a creek crossing in it, and it's died as I'm on the throttle going, and I'm just like, what are you doing? And it was just in the wrong gear, and that was the top of what that gear could handle. Um, so I, I, that was a main difference for me. Um, it was really nice to go almost 70 on the highway <laughs> on the way back. 
the GW does not go. I've pushed it to 70 and I thought that maybe that was that was the end of it for me. Um, and on the KLX, it was like it was there and it was happy. Um, so that was really great. I don't know what the fastest is that the KLX could do, but I did 70, 71 and easily. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a, a slim bike, so you're not feeling like you're on a Goldwing. Of course, you're on a right, slim bike. Right. But I yeah. didn't feel unstable. I thought it was great because obviously at the end of your dirt ride, you want to be able to get home. <laughs> oh, for sure. And like quickly too, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was really great. Um, things that were similar. I mean, it's a very similar height the controls felt really similar, you know, those kind of like newer, smaller dirt bikes, everything, you know, the throttle kind of feels the same. The clutch pull feels the same. The brakes kind of feel the same. Um, but uh, what's it? I, th I think it was more of just like the handling in general. Yeah. It was really responsive. If you move yes. the bars, you almost know where you wanted to go. I also felt I haven't done a lot, as I said, but when I stood on the pegs, which I was trying to do as often as possible, I could actually feel the tank between my knees, whereas I don't recall that previously. Um, and that instilled a lot of confidence. And when I spoke to Jocelyn, who was, um, you know, sort of wrangling us all together <laughs> and she's got some experience. She said, yeah, just grip with your knees and that will give you because I found when I stood up, then I was pulling the throttle I was like oh I'm gonna just really oh, yeah, yeah. and she said grip with your knees and that will give you more control on the handlebars you'll be able to then use light skills mm -hmm. you know with your hands yeah that's a great that's a great point too and I know they had changed something I think maybe just a little bit of the shape and maybe the height of the tank compared to the seat and I think that made a difference because well it sort of ran all in one from the seat up to the tank there was no sort of ridge it was and I don't think we got a chance to really like so that would be really helpful on things like single track where you are a little bit higher on the seat and you are using your body to kind of lean the bike around tighter turns that would be super helpful you know on a truck trail where you're mostly standing it's kind of like cool there's nothing in the way um but yeah I can definitely see where that's going to be really helpful on kind of a closer tighter trail um or things like Man, I think I had done a um, dirt track class like way back in the day on a KLX 140, and it's kind of similar. It's a little bit smaller, obviously, but um, they, you know, they teach you to get like almost at the gas cap, all the way up on the tank, you know, leaning mm -hmm. the bike all the way over with your foot out, that kind of thing. Um, really, really taking it to an extreme. And on this bike, it would be so easy to just like do that exactly the same, you know really being able to move the bike around and move your body around on the bike without anything in the way yes yeah i'd agree the other thing i noticed going back to the freeway often um well two things actually there was no vibration very tiny bit of vibration on my right mirror when i was you know doing the higher speeds and that's always a nice thing because it's awful if you're on the freeway for me and you can't see in the mirrors i know some people don't use their mirrors but uh, there's no vibration which is always a good thing Right. And it was really nice to kind of even like highway and on the trail, because, you know, obviously, if you're standing, you don't typically see in the uh, mirrors. Um, but even kind of sitting and putting along the trail, it was easy to kind of look back. And then I could I could spot the headlight of I think you were behind me for some of it. So I'd you know, get to the end of a turn and I'd check the mirror real quick and I'd see your headlight come around the trail and I'll be like, cool. OK, they're not too far behind me. You know, keep going. Um, 
and that was really nice. But yeah, not too much vibration, which is great. You mentioned the headlight. They'd obviously put thought into that because I notice that quite often when I'm riding different bikes, um, whoever I'm with are like, you know, we can barely see you and I end up on main beam. But with the KLX 230, it's bright. I mean, it was neat, and, you know. Oh, super bright. Yeah, you could you could definitely tell. Um, we, you know, we didn't get back when it was dark or anything. I would have liked to really kind of see what that looked like at night. Um, not that, you know, a, a lot of people who do any sort of dual sporty type things out here in the winter kind of has to contend with it getting dark fairly early. So it's not like anyone, you know, was going out to ride at night with just the stock headlight. Um, but it would be nice to kind of have an idea of what that looks like. Um, and right, yeah. Well, I certainly found it useful. And when we went down to Cold Spring Taverns, which is, um, for those that don't know, in Central California, it's a beautiful little stagecoach stop. I think we had there for lunch, which was laughable, really late lunch because we were so slow. <laughs> but I found down in those dark little, you know, roadways, the, the lights were brilliant. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's something to think about too. It's not the, you know, it was a little overcast and we had tree cover. So it, it looked like, you know, kind of gloomy. Yeah. Well, it's a safety thing as well. If you can be seen. Yes. yes. And that is something that's super important on these little bikes, taking them on the road. A lot of cars will, you know, if they see a big headlight on a big bike and the bike coming along with it, of course, um, you know, they're going to register that you're there on these smaller bikes. If they have a dinky headlight, they almost don't see you at all. And it's, it's so, yeah. Cause like the last thing you want to do while you're kind of at top speed on this teeny little bike, um, you know, on the highways, have someone pull out in front of you because I don't know that, you know, a lot of those smaller bikes made for dual sport you know have incredible stopping power on the street well not so much stopping because you're not on a big bike you can't just accelerate out of trouble you can't say you know i'm going to get past this guy who's clearly not seen me you can't sort of apply the power so you're a bit trapped so what's next on your um adventures <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, well, it's impossible for me to have more than like a, a couple days off without trying to go ride somewhere. So um, this weekend, I am actually going to go back up to sim like a similar area by Santa Barbara and ride. Um, uh, I was thinking maybe Camino Cielo West and we were on the east part of Camino Cielo. Oh, east. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I was going to try and ride the other half of that road, uh, just cause it, man, it's so gorgeous up there. Um, it's going to warm up a little bit in that area also. You, yeah, you were pretty soon up on a ridge sort of above the clouds even. It was just fantastic. Oh my goodness. Yeah. For a second, we, we went through a little bit of fog and a little bit of cloud cover, which was so cool to see, you know, that whole time I'm like, man, I wish I had a GoPro on. And some of those. I mean, I, I'm definitely a stop and take pictures every mile if I need to type of rider because I want to remember that, you know, it, it was such a breathtaking view coming around the corner yes. on the top of that ridge. You know, we had kind of been winding up along the mountain, right, like side of the mountain for the longest time. We hit some trees, we came around a corner and like, bam, it just was, everything was in front of you and the ocean was shining and like all these clouds were in, in the middle. It was so beautiful. I remember thinking like, wait, they're not stopping to take a picture. Like what is going on here? Um, but yeah, so, so that's my, my weekend plans is to go back up and ride uh, and camp um, similar area like Santa Barbara. And then I'll go a little bit further 
and there's some um there's some trails kind of by santa margarita that i think i want to try out that are just like they're like ridgeline trails so similar to what we were riding on shouldn't be anything too technical so what sort of camping do you do do you take a tent um oh gosh well i mean during the summers i'm usually on my moto v7 and i will like camp across the country with a tent um so like i i'm not afraid of that i just man if i'm dirt biking i want like i want to bring extra sweatpants and comfy sweatshirts and like uh bring a whole bunch of extra pillows and blankets and stuff like that so i camp in my jeep i had built out like kind of a platform in the back of it um and it's uh it's a two-door so it there's not a ton of room but I am just tall enough to like lay out flat in the back if the passenger seat is forward. It sounds so silly, but to me, it makes a lot of sense because then I can be completely self-contained. I don't have to, especially if I'm camping in the middle of the desert or up in the trails somewhere and I'm by myself. Cause I, I mean, a lot of this time I'm solo, right? So I'm always kind of everything I do. I also have, you know, just safety in mind. You know, I'm a, you know, young-ish, small woman by herself like i'm i'm always gonna make sure i can lock the doors you know um so yeah usually i just kind of like you know make up a little bed in there make uh sometimes i'll i'll take the uh bike off the back so i can have access to everything underneath there um but even then like it's it's pretty it's pretty cozy <laughs> nice. no, that sounds really really good fun Oh yeah, it's it's great and it's pretty it's pretty stealthy too. Um so you know if I go and park somewhere maybe that isn't exactly camping oriented, then no one's giving me a hard time because it just looks like, you know, a, a Jeep with a, a motorcycle on the back. Yeah, sure. So after you'd ridden um the Kawasaki, you you wrote an article. I couldn't I can't remember where we can find that because I'll put a link to that. Yeah. So that is on motorcycle.com. Right. And that was, you know, I, I had kind of really wanted to get out some thoughts that I had about it, like immediately, because I'm a very, once I start writing, I just, it all comes out at once. And then I have a hard time coming back to it. So, yes. um, yeah, so that's on motorcycle.com. And I had kind of made sure I had written that for other beginners kind of um i mean i i want to still classify myself as a beginner because man you stick me on a bigger bike and ask me to go fast and i can't do it so um i kind of come to that you know how i was writing it and who i was writing it to that audience is for people who maybe are looking for their first bike or you know dual sport bike maybe they've been riding street for a while maybe they've you know they rode as a kid and they're still not sure but they want something that's a little bit more accessible they're struggling with their off-road riding and now there's this right. lower seat available i mean what a difference exactly i mean i know personally the difference between you know trying str struggling on a bike that was not made for me but also maybe wasn't working right either um, I'm a huge fan of newer bikes for, for people who are new to off-road riding. It's there's the maintenance is going to be super low. There's not going to be a ton of things that are going to break on it. You know, if you put the right protection on there, um, you know, it just takes a lot of the heartache and struggle out of like trying to kick a bike on a trail or, you know, adjusting a carb or something like that because you were at sea level and now you're somewhere else. And it's it, those 
things beginning writers don't typically take into account, you know, or if they've got a hand-me-down bike from whoever, you know, mm. in their family or their friend group or something like that, man, I, I remember trying some like off-road riding a lot of years ago at Babes in the Dirt. And I was borrowing this, I was borrowing a KLX 140 and the bike wasn't working. And all of my friends were looking at me like, what's your problem? Just go faster. And I was like, guys, I'm pulling the throttle. It's not doing anything. And they just kind of like, like went and rode without me. So that was heartbreaking because it wasn't me. It was the bike, but I, I didn't know that. Newer bikes are really pretty tough as well. You know, they have all the protection around. So they are. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I was, you know, aiming that for was someone who's like, all right, is this going to be the right thing? Um, and is it going to do all the things without that heartbreak, without that struggle? Yes. You don't want that extra stress when you're newish. Not at all. Like it's already stressful. You're already, you're already like your, your, uh, heart rate's up. You're nervous. You're a little sweaty. You're on high alert. You know, you had your energy chews. So you're just like, what do I do? And then you get on the bike and it should make it easier. You should get on and, and then feel relaxed. You should, yes. you shouldn't have to have, I like to call it, um, type two fun. So type one fun is you're having, you're, you're actively having fun and you're giggling usually personally, I'm always giggling during type one fun. So type two fun, you're not having fun. It's only fun after you're done having it. So for a lot of my like first year of off-road riding, it was type two fun. You're having fun because you're putting yourself out of your comfort zone. And like we get done and I'm like, okay, that's the hardest thing I've ever done. And it was fun and I learned a lot, but like during it, I felt like I was going to throw up. So <laughs> we're, yeah, that's, that's usually how I, now I get on the bike and I'm having type one fun, like a hundred percent of the time, almost, I don't want to say a hundred percent, maybe like 85%. Sometimes I get into a pickle and I'm just like, what did I, why? Like I, <laughs> uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did part of the LA B to V, which is, um, an off-road ride, not a race anymore, thankfully, from, uh, it goes from Palmdale to Barstow to Las Vegas. And I did the mm -hmm. second day, which is Barstow to Vegas. And it's typically, depending on if you do the hard or easy routes, it's anywhere from 220 to 240 miles. Ooh. So that's a lot. That's a lot off-road. That's a lot in sand. And like almost all of the tracks were sand. So, you know, the first maybe a couple hours of it, I was having type one fun, you know, I was, I was relaxed. I was having a good time. I was, you know, not, I wasn't, wasn't crying. <laughs> you know, I was tired. And I was exhausted. Man, that's the most tiring thing I can think of right now. Um, and then I got to a section that was just miles and miles of deep sand. I mean like 35 miles of like deep sand and suddenly I was like, why do I even like motorcycles? You know, who let me do this? Um, you know, I'm gonna, yeah, like you just go through all the stages of grief. And then I get to a spot where it's a little bit more hard pack. And I'm like, see, this is fine. This is fine. And then I get to uh, more sand and I text my chase driver where I'm like, I'm not having fun anymore. And, and then I'd get to the road and then I'd be like, well, I guess I could keep going. And it just, man, it was just this emotional roller coaster of, um, 
you know, do, do I really need to do this? Would I ever do this again? Which I don't think I would, I would have to be like pretty heavily bribed at this point. <laughs> um, it's just not, it's, I don't know. The, the fun parts are very fun. The not fun parts are terrifying. <laughs> and that's why, you know, I didn't finish it. Um, and I'm okay with that. Mostly because I still did like 160 miles and I, I've never done that before. I've never, yeah, on a TW, like that is, that is like insane. That is not okay. <laughs> that, it was a challenge. Absolutely. And that's why I did it. That was the, you know, all it takes is one person being like, oh, I don't think you can do that. And I'd be like, hey, hold my beer. I'm doing that. So yeah, um, I'm definitely, I'm definitely that type of person. It's impressive. I mean, I had a bit of a, a bit of a moment of that. We would going over on the Kawasaki, all, all the big rocks, you know, and they were moving and pushing the tires around. I was like, oh, you know, keep the throttle on. It, it'll stay up. And uh, I was sort of getting a bit of snow blindness. My brain was having to calculate which which route to pick through this this winding, bumpy, as I say, there were all those rivulets with water in and mud. So you were sliding, being pushed around. I was like, oh, when is this going to end? When is this going to end? And suddenly we went on to a shingle area all this sort of loose gravel and stones and I was thinking bring back the rocks this is awful <laughs> yes yeah that's uh yeah that's absolutely it and I mean some people would argue that that's just what that's the fun of dirt riding is like that struggle get getting past it that kind of thing um typically better done with friends right because then you have someone to be like hey remember that time we went and did this and and then you can laugh about it and either say you know never again or i would go back and it's it's really fun to kind of share those experiences with other people and you learn from what they've done when we stopped some of the other riders had sort of bashed their foot pegs they were sort of looking to see like did i crack anything because obviously they'd be going a lot faster and maybe not avoiding rocks and things just going over them but the bike coped brilliantly there was nothing it just sprung back into shape Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was a couple, you know, I, I was actually a little, I mean, I feel like these things, you are trying not to knock the bike over, obviously, because you don't want to, you know, you're all supposed to be out there. Okay. I was going to say, you don't want to fall over in front of everyone else and like embarrass yourself. Um, I would have preferred to try picking it up at least once because I want to know that's something that I would want to know if I was a small rider looking for a bike that wasn't too top heavy and was didn't have a super high center of gravity, you know, is this going to be easy for me to pick up? And can I do it more than once? Not that I'm about to go try and borrow that bike again, just to knock it over. But I think that probably would have been a helpful part of that experience for me. But I didn't get a chance to do that, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I'm planning to buy one, you can come around and push it over. <laughs> get up okay, okay, perfect. Sometimes as you uh, right after you put some um, hand guards on it, I think, just so we don't have to buy a lever <laughs> after that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, I think that's important. I, I mean, I knock my TW over all the time and sometimes it's silly things like trying to stop to figure out if I'm even on the right trail. And I just kind of like hit, you know, I land on a rock or stop on a rock and just like tip over. Cause my foot can't reach anymore. Stop you know, like that cold. Kind of yes. Put your foot down. And For sure. Around. And I, I mean, buying that bike initially, I was so man, I really wanted to make sure I could pick it up 12 times because I knew I would be knocking it over 12 times. Like, yeah. and I did. The I know, man, yeah. 
The TW, yeah. First thing I did was put a skid plate and handguards on it, and I utilized those. I mean, um, if you ever see my bike out in the wild, it is covered in glitter stickers because it's hiding scratches. It's got dents in both sides of the tank. It's got, I mean, it looks trashed. Um, but that's because I've used it to its fullest. You know, I've I've really done a lot of things on that bike. It's got 3,000 miles on it. I want to say most of those are off-road. Um, you know, the couple of times I commute, it's only a mile or two. So um, it's really, it's really taken a beating. And so far, it's just running like a charm. Like it's not, so that's kind of now what I would expect for any other dual sport I'd get. The purpose of the dual sport is to be able to take it. And uh, it's all right if it looks a bit beaten up, just means you've been using it. Exactly. I like my bikes to look like they've been used. (laughs) If if you see too much shiny things on it, either I just bought it or I just put new glitter stickers on it. So, you know, either one. (laughs) I'm just going to change tack slightly because I also saw very slightly, completely different actually, um, that you seem to have some artistic flair. You're a needlewoman. You make quilts. Oh, I make quilts. Yes, I. Um, yeah, I saw you had an Etsy store. Uh, yes, I do. There's not much left in there now because I haven't, I haven't updated it. Yeah, um, some things just went out for Christmas, so that was pretty cool. But yeah, I've been, um, I've been sewing since I was a kid. I went to school for costume design. Um, didn't finish. I pivoted and went in like 18 different directions after that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, a couple of days a week, work at a quilt shop and run like a long arm machine, which is like this massive piece of machinery um, that's computer programmed. And I've spent the last two years learning how to use it. Um, but yeah, that is my, that's my like creative outlet is these, uh, these quilts. That's great. I have access to, to machinery like that as well. So you can Oh yeah, that's a that's a very lucky that's a very lucky thing. And that was just, you know, um I had been making quilts at home, you know, maybe like 5 or 6 years ago and suddenly found myself with a quilt that was a little too big to finish on my home machine. And so just kind of looked around for someone who could finish it for me and stumbled on this shop that offered classes. And so I was hooked. Um I really like learning skills and technical things is like super important for me like I really really want to constantly be learning about whatever it is I'm doing so whether that's a new technique or a different type of you know finishing things or it's the same as on dirt bikes if I come up against something and I think that's too hard or I can't do that then I need to absolutely try and do that um, or learn how to do it Um, (laughs) it works in so many different ways but Um, The quilting's fun because I then get to like, you know, I make them for friends and my friends' babies, and then I've made them for fundraisers. So I make these big Lone Star quilts, and then usually I donate them to sometimes it's events or sometimes it's fundraisers for different things. Um, And it's usually the highest ticket item there because everyone wants one. Awesome. Well, people love traditional items these days. It's like the whole world's gone full cycle and everyone likes everyone's gone back. It's so great. It surprised the heck out of me when I started sharing just some, some projects I had been working on at home. I hadn't typically put them on, you know, my Instagram or anything. Some of my friends knew because they'd come over to my house. They'd be like, what is going on here? There's just like fabric everywhere. And I'd be like, I'm in the middle of something. They're like, yeah, obviously. (laughs) Um, But 
when I started sharing, I was just so blown away by how many people were like, this is super cool. I'm super interested. Keep, keep posting this. And I'm like, really? And then it, it was always fun to hear stories of like, oh, you know, my grandma quilted and I would always help her or I'd pick the colors and I have this, you know, quilt on my couch from, you know, her grandmother. And it's just really cool because a lot of those stories are so, it's like deeply personal, you know? Um, yes. But it kind of brings all this like happy, warm, fuzzy feelings to, up to the surface. And covers different sort of um, styles of homes. You know, you get your coastal homes and you get your country homes mm. and the quilt fits in to all sorts oh, absolutely. of styles. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's just it's so fun. And plus, I mean, when can you really ever like I if I gift one of those to a friend or something, I know exactly how many hours I put into most of them. So it's like, Hey, I made this for you. I thought about you for 30 hours. <laughs> like that's nice. here's my blood, sweat and tears. Um, I hope you love it. Also don't wash it on hot. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> That's so heartwarming. Yeah. That's a lovely gift. Yeah. It's fun. But it's, it's also, uh, you know, gifting people things that you make. I mean, that's the piece of you that's going with it. It's, it's really incredible. Um, yeah. So it's in, it's a very good creative outlet for me. I I am constantly thinking of you know patterns or techniques or how I can change something. I see something out in the wild, or I'll take I'll like I'll take pictures of quilts whenever I see them. Um, I was uh, working in New York this summer and saw some of the um, d uh, window displays on Madison Avenue had quilts all over them, and I was just losing my shit. I'm sorry, this like beautiful display of like whoever it was, Ralph Lauren or something like that, had this like antique blue and white hand quilted quilt mm. just as like the focal point. And I'm just like, what is going on here? So of course I took a picture of it. Now I want to recreate it. But um, that's, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. I feel like it's a good balance for all the motorsports. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like you've got not only, the, you know, the skills to do the the the, the making of you also got that creative mind so you see things and you want to translate them into quilting yes definitely yeah nice mm -hmm. well what an interesting life you lead <laughs> <laughs> you do no I love it it's uh well sometimes I feel like it's the highlight reel that everyone sees because the rest of it is just piles of fabric and you know too many coffee cups sitting at my desk that kind of thing yeah that's the same with all of us I think there's there's always a certain amount certainly in my house I would have procrastination going on before you actually get something solid happening <laughs> yes oh yeah I'm the worst at that I almost like to wait until it's almost too late and then yes. I'm better <laughs> when I'm under pressure I work way better when I'm under pressure so now that I know it I can use it to my advantage <laughs> yeah and it's a good excuse to go out and ride your bike because you're still thinking through your next yeah. project <laughs> yeah no that's that's absolutely it um and that's I've got a whole bunch of projects that are coming down the line for you know the next couple of weeks because I have some time off but the first thing I'm gonna go do is ride my bike um of course priorities <laughs> yes of course and then I get in the mindset plus it's so nice you know you get done with the ride and you're like you know tired and a little sore and you eat a really good meal and you just you feel so fulfilled and then you can tackle any problem, you know, anything that seemed like it was too much before. It's like you've checked off all the boxes and you're like, okay, I'm ready to tackle this. Like, I just feel so much better. Things are a little bit more clear and make more sense after I've, you know, gone to, gone and had a good riding weekend. It's, yeah. um, 
man, yeah, it's addicting kind of. <laughs> like, ride your bike, clear your head, and then you can live your life. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's been awesome chatting with you. Thanks so much. Oh, yeah. I, I'm so glad you asked me to do this. This has been super fun. Um, Good fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really hope you get that KLX 30S soon because I will like to borrow it. I, I mean, yeah. after we put handguards in, I, I might knock it over. But I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's it's a whole new world for me, the off-road thing, and that's the perfect bike. It really is. It really is. I'm trying to figure out how I can, you know, borrow one long term. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh I almost kind of wish we had gotten a chance to take it on a little bit more technical things. And by technical I mean sand. I want to go in sand with that. I don't really want to go in sand. I'm sure I'll get to that stage. You got it's like a rite of passage. You just gotta get it over with and figure it out, and then literally you can do anything any after that well you have to be prepared i guess because once you get off road these things come at you i, I noticed this. they do especially in california in california you can be like i'm in the woods and still come across like sand yeah because this is still all coastal it has been for you know millions of years so um yeah definitely but you can see if I, I mean i'm finding sand is just like everywhere anyway you can find it in pennsylvania East Coast riding in the Midwest. I, I've heard there's a lot in <laughs> like oh. in the middle of nowhere where you wouldn't expect. Like Nebraska has like sand dunes. Oh, really? It's really invasive. I hate sand so much. Wow, it's so varied here in America. <laughs> it is. It's so great. Anyways, thank you for having me on, TJ. This it's been a pleasure. Been... You enjoy yourself. I will. Carry I will. on leading the good life. <laughs> <laughs> Trying my hardest. <laughs> we'll catch up with you soon. Cheerio. Okay.